Hi everyone, welcome to SoFlo Real Estate Show. Super excited you're going to be here with us. Today's number one question that we're seeing from buyers is, is it time to get off of the fence, back into the market and buy a home? And if we do, how in the world do we navigate through all of this misinformation to find the right lender to help you buy a home that is perfect for you? Well, my name is Athena Chalikas Barocas. I'm a top producer and award-winning realtor with Coldwell Bank here in sunny South Florida. I have been selling luxury homes for over 20 years, and I absolutely love working with my clients. In today's show, we're going to talk about not only the different types of mortgage lenders out there, but really what are the seven criteria, the most important factors for you as a buyer to choose the right lender who's going to help guide you through the loan process. So by the way, if you know someone's thinking about buying a home, this is a great video to share. So I want to introduce or welcome back my guest, Julie Dinda of Radius Financial Group. Julie, it's nice to have you back. Always a pleasure. Hello, everybody. Excited to be here for this topic. So today's topic is really quite hot. You know, I did a couple of videos and put them on TikTok, social media, or in three times the amount of hits talking about lenders and how to find the right type of mortgage program for them. So, um, Julie, I'm just excited to have you back. How many years do you have in this business? Oh, so I've, I, was a, I was a real estate agent for about 15 years, and I've been doing um, um, mortgages for about almost six years now. So, been a long so time. So, over 21 years in the industry. Yes. Yes. So you've seen what I've seen. I've had 20 years of experience and we see these markets come and go, come and go and evolve. Um, but overall, it's somewhat the same as we get into these cycles. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before we get into it, you know, I saw some interesting statistics this morning and the number one statistic out there before we dive into, you know, the topic of lenders is, you know, what's going on with inflation? It is incredible. Today, our U.S. inflation rate is 3.24%. A year ago, Julie, it was 7.75. So we're not at the 2% goal that the feds want us to be at. But 3.3, no, excuse me, 3.24% is an incredible number today. Talk to me about this, Julie. It, it's just all, you know, it, when it comes to rates and, you know, everything that's going on, it really has to do a lot with everything that's going on in the world. So when you have wars and when you have, you know, uncertainty and when you, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, elections can cause it too. I mean, it's one of those things where there's, if there's, you know, a little bit of instability you're going to have an issue with the rates. If there's a lot of it, like we seem to be experiencing now, you're, you're going to see it all over the place. Um, I know they're doing their best to kind of regulate it so it doesn't get out of control, but, you know, it's definitely there, um, you know, but, but with everything, with every bad thing comes, comes great things, I feel. Uh, you know, like the other day, we, we had somebody that's been working with us for three years trying to find a house when rates were two and a half percent, putting in seven, I, I swear they must have put in at least 70 offers. This week, their offer was accepted $50,000 under what they had offered in 2021 for a house right next door. Um, you know, they're paying a different interest rate, you know, but the difference of the value of everything is a $250 swing. So it's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is a little out there and hope, hopefully we can get it all in line as soon as possible. 
Oh, I agree with you. And, um, you know, when you look at the inflation, you look at some other indicators, you know, there is a thought that interest rates will start coming down in 2024. So, you know, that's, that's very hopeful for our buyers. And it's so important right now for our buyers to understand, to find a lender today in order to prepare for whether they buy a house in 2023, 20, early 2024, late 2024. But to find the right lender is so important. Very important that you can communicate with and, you know, that's in your you know, realm of what you're looking to do. Absolutely. And, you know, I was also looking at NAR. I'm looking at my notes because I want to get it right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> National Association of Realtors. They're showing or projecting, forecasting that 2024 home prices are going to be greater than they are today. We're going to continue to see appreciation, not in huge amounts, but homes are going to be more expensive next year than they are this year. Slightly. They have um, 5.5 million versus 4.8. So we're not talking about a lot of extra inventory out there. Right. Well, what we're seeing is that interest rates do seem like they're they're going to be starting to go down um, in 2024. That's what all of our indicators say. Um, and so once that, you know, starts to go down and obviously, you know, people that have been waiting are trying to buy into it. That's when we kind of run into those 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 touchy situations with asking over and, you know, and, and, and all of those crazy times. But yeah, I mean, I think that in South Florida, in Florida in general, it's no longer, um, you know, the place where you go to retire. I mean, it's, it's hot. It's, you know, Miami is, you know, supposed to be this, you know, Mecca of like, you know, Bitcoin and, you know, industry and everything. So it's just, it's almost becoming more of a New York than it is as a, of a retirement home, but like a retirement yeah. area. The landscape is changing. Absolutely. I agree with you, especially if you ask some of the, um, you know, Miami beach, you know, born and raised, they'll tell you it looks completely different. Completely. And, you know, that's why it's important to really keep up, whether you're a seller or a buyer, we're focusing on buying today, but really keep in touch with the market and keep in touch with your professionals to help you guide you. Like you said earlier, you know, this homeowner waited a couple of years, bought a house exactly in the neighborhood they wanted, probably a home that was very identical to what they had wanted two years ago or less money overall, higher interest rate, less. lower purchase price. So yep. they did very well. They did very well. And so as we look forward and we see the you know inflation rate being at bay, the feds are a lot more comfortable at 3% versus 8%. Um, we're seeing a small indication from the National Association of Realtors saying home prices are going to continue to rise. We do have appreciation forecasted. A small amount of inventory going to be released next year, which brings us back to multiple offers. And when we have multiple offers, we have higher prices. We have a lot more competition. So generally, fourth quarter and first quarter are a great time to buy because the market's a little sleepier as opposed to waiting for the spring and summer. So exactly. let's dive into this. Um, what do we want to talk about, first of all, is the two most prevalent types of mortgage lenders consumers have access to. There's other types that consumers don't have access to, and they're really not important today. But I'd like to walk you walk us through what are the two most prevalent types. We have the traditional lender, which is more of a bank, 
and then we have mm-hmm. our mortgage brokers. Help us understand what is the difference between these two, Julie? So, so a direct lender can be a bank, they can be a credit union, an online entity, um, or even an organization that provides mortgages directly to the borrower. So in other words, the mortgages are created, funded, managed directly by that particular lender. Um, the loans rates and terms, they're also established by the lender and can differ significantly from lender to lender. Um, one of the benefits with working with a lender is the partnership. So borrowers work with one officer who processes their application. They do the underwriting in-house, the processing in-house. They follow through with everything until the closing table. And even sometimes, which I'm sure you can attest to, at the closing table if there's any additional you know, questions that are needed there. Um, so on the other hand, the rates and the terms are wide, they, they vary widely between these lenders. So make, so sometimes it can make the borrower feel like they're taking a gamble if they go only with one direct lender. Um, now, the other route is the mortgage broker. So mortgage brokers are a little bit more independent. So they're licensed professionals. Um, They evaluate your um, portfolio. So what they do is they say like, okay, this is a VA. Uh, He's looking, you know, he he served in the military. He's looking to buy a $600,000 house. He doesn't have a lot of money. Okay, so we're going to put him through a VA program. So they'll go through and they'll find, you know, they'll go through 20 banks and they'll say, okay, well, this bank, this bank, and this bank offers that. So I'm going to send their information over to that bank. And then that bank will take over for that particular mortgage broker. So the brokers do not fund the loans. Um, they, um, they don't set the interest rates or fees. They don't make lending decisions at all. Um, instead, they receive just a small percentage of the loan amount for their services. Um, and then obviously the, bor- the borrower pays for that through their mortgage clause. So a good mortgage broker will work with multiple lenders, like I was saying before, on the borrower's behalf, um, providing more opportunities for competitive interest rates. So, you know, they can say like, hey, you know, there's there's three banks that I submitted this borrower's information to, um, you know, just so that you know. So, you know, they can kind of be a little creative on their rate. Um, but on the other hand, the broker's commission can potentially create a conflict of interest if they select a mortgage, um, you know, to prioritize the commission over the benefit to that direct to that borrower. Okay, so interesting. So it really comes down to you know how comfortable a borrower is in either direction. If they have an ongoing relationship with, like you said, a credit union or an institutional bank and they feel comfortable with the product that's being offered, then that could be an excellent opportunity for them. But if Correct. they want to you know, test the market and see what else is out there, then that's where the mortgage broker would come in because there is a menu of options based on the different types of loans that are available. Correct. Like in my case, I'm actually a mortgage banker. So it's, it's, it's technically my money, but I actually expand and go through um, kind of like a mortgage broker does. So I work with Chase, I work with USA Bank, I work with our money, um, I work with all kinds of different things, which allows me to be a little bit more flexible with things. But you know, if you work directly with Bank of America, Bank of America is going to have Bank of America's rates and programs. If you work with a credit union, credit union's not going to do bank statement programs or you know business loans on you know a higher, more advanced. You know, they're not going to do jumbo properties you know they're going to just deal with the 
you know, easy peasy, you know, in and out type of loans. Um, so they might be able to offer a little bit better of a rate since they're using their own money, you know. And so it, it you know, it's just really everybody's situation is different. I've turned clients away from me. My best friend of 25 years had, you know, came to me with purchasing a house and I looked at the file and I said, listen, I'm going to be totally honest with you. If you go with this person, they have an out of the outstanding out of this world program for you right now. And then they went with them and they saved almost, you know, just because of the specific, specific deal that they wanted, they're going to end up over the life of the loan, maybe saving $15,000, $20,000. And so, you know, as a great lender that's been in the business for a long time, you know, obviously, they're going to send their children to me because they know that I'm going to be honest and fair with them, you know, so you just got to kind of, you know, everything has its advantages, but you know, they also have their disadvantages because they call me every second and ask me, what's this process? What's this process? process?" Because they can't get in touch with the lenders on their end, you know, so, you know, it really just depends. Yeah, it does depend. And, you know, it's great to have somebody also that's referred, you know, I love referring the lenders I work with. Um, because I know that they're going to be honest, they're going to be truthful, they're going to be direct, they're they're able to be reached, then they're, they're going to do the best for the client at the end of the day. And so it's important, you know, people can go online and look for something, but there's such a risk factor in just finding somebody online without verifying. There's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of bait and switch online where they mm-hmm. offer you something to get you in the door. And then once they actually look at your profile, they're like, oh, but your credit score is not enough. And so now you're already in, you've already given them all your information, you stick with them. Um, yeah, it's a lot of bait and switch, yeah. unfortunately. You're yeah, right. There's a lot going on out there. That's why I'm like, we got to navigate through this. Yeah. So the best way to do it is to really understand what are those critical factors that will help our consumers, our buyers, to kind of better understand whether or not they're making the best choice in picking the right lender. So um, let's jump into some of these factors. And when I say factors, you know, these are the, this is the criteria lenders use for the most part in order to determine what is the best rate, what are the best terms, you know, what is the best financial packet to present to the buyer. Correct, Julie? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So let's get to it. I'm going to name them and then I want you to give us an overview of what it is and, you know, what our buyers should be looking for, the pros and the cons of each of these factors. (laughs) It's kind of like a game show. Kind of like Jeopardy. Let's go. (laughs) I know, but I only have the music. Okay, the first one is size and loan of um, of the size. Let me do that again. Size of the loan relative to the property value. Yes. So that actually is also called what we what we say is loan to value or LTV ratio. Um, so this measures the appraised value of the property against the loan that you want. So the lower your loan to value ratio, the less risky you appear to the lender. So that's improving the odds that you can that you'll obtain the competitive mortgage or not. So give me an example. What is a good loan to value? So a loan to value would be, I would say, so so let's say most of the time people tell us, you know, they'll come to us and say, oh, I didn't realize that you couldn't put less than 20% down. Um, I hear that a lot. Um, and you can put as little as 3% down. I mean, we have programs where you can put 1% down and get matched with 2%. So you can pay as little as 1% to 3% down on a conventional loan. 
Now, if you put 20% down, now there's a huge difference as me as a lender, if I'm going to, if I'm going to loan you to, let's just say $200,000 and you're putting 3% down of $2,000, that's not very much money in your pocket. You know, let's just say now, if you put 20, 30, 40% down, you are extremely vested in this property. So that means that if you don't make a payment after a year, that whole property is going to me and I have all this money and all this equity in it. So I'm going to give you a great rate. I'm going to give you great options because I know that you're not going to let that money go. You know, if you only put two or $3,000 in, that's high risk for me. I'm giving you the loan. Now I've got to go through this whole process of evicting you and doing all of this crazy stuff. You know, it's really not worth it to me. So I might make that interest rate higher um, so that you put five, 10, 15 or 20% down. Okay. All right. So we're really going back to risk again, as we talked about in another um, podcast is the lower the contribution of the buyer, then the higher the risk for the lender. Therefore, maybe the terms or the interest rate is not going to be as, um, as low as it could be. Correct. Yeah. So that's interesting. Let's now jump into interest rate, Julie, number two Yay, on the list. Interest rate. <laughs> interest rate for 5000 I'm just kidding. So the, so the interest rate itself determines the cost of your mortgage over time. So this making this essentially the most important factor to consider when you're purchasing a property. So the down payment, like you were just saying, impacts the rate. Um, the larger that down payment and the less risk on the lender results in that lower rate. If you're purchasing a um, condo as opposed to a single family home, that's going to affect your interest rate because of the fact that the condo has a lot more risk because there's more people in that property that are controlling mm. that property, whereas a single family, it's just you. So you're going to make sure you're doing your maintenance, taking care of your water, not letting things drip, not you know taking care of mold issues or anything like that. A condo, you may have renters or something like that where people don't really care as much. So that's a difference in your interest rate. Right, right. But for a single family home, you know, interest rate is number one. But as we tell our buyers over and over and over again, you cannot just shop for rate because it's the prime example, you know, the loan to value. How much money are you putting down? That's just one of the factors that are going to impact what that interest rate is. Correct. Yeah. So it's a little tricky out there. So let's go to number three, points paid on a loan origination. Our buyer should be asking this question. Yes. Um, so a lot of times what some lenders will do is they will add points to your um, your rate in, in what we call fees. Um, uh, so origination points are part of the actual origination, which is a step-by-step process every borrower completes um, to obtain a mortgage. So origination points are the fees that borrowers pay lenders to compensate for evaluating, processing, approving a mortgage loan. These fees are these these fees are no, negotiable among lenders um, as a way of paying the closing costs. The best like trick that I can tell you is when you purchase a property, you're going to get an interest rate and you're going to get an annual percentage rate disclosed. You're going to get both of those disclosed. So an interest rate might be 7.5, right? And your annual percentage rate is going to be about 7.875. And so that annual percentage rate includes the fees that you're paying 
to get the, the loan. Now, what sometimes people will do and where you can see where there's a little bit of shenanigans going on is if you have 7.5% and then they say your annual percentage rate is 8.75, that means that one, you're either paying for points, which brings down the interest rate. But if no one told you that you're paying for points and you see a huge jump in your interest rate and your annual percentage rate, then you got to ask some questions. Ask why that is that way. What's happening? What 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 kind of hidden fees are there in this loan? You know, that's a good point. So the interest rate and the APR, because that's how we always see it, the annual percent yep. rate, the APR, the further the way they are from one another, the more expensive the product is because of fees. Correct. Wow. And they could be legitimate fees. They could be legitimate free fees, or they could be, you know, a little surprise you know, fees. <laughs> yeah, a little fees that they're not telling you about. Hidden fees is what they call it. So yeah. I always and you say know it happens close, all the time. It yeah, happens all yeah. the time. You know, I mean, if you're buying should... down a rate and you know you're paying points for a rate, that's going to be significantly different, and you already know that ahead of time. But if people don't tell you that, um, you know, that's where you kind of run into a little bit of an issue. Now, when will a buyer actually be able to see in writing that there's an interest rate and the APR? Is that at the very beginning of the process? Yes, right at the beginning, uh, right when you're disclosed. Um, you know, usually, typically what happens is most people nowadays use electronic stuff. So they'll call you, you, you do something online, even when you go online, you know, if you go to like uh, Rocket Mortgage or something, something like that. Once you're done submitting everything and once they say everything looks good to go, we're going to go ahead and disclose to you, they have to, by law, disclose all that information to you. So you will see that in that, in that form. Okay. So that's a great stopper right there. Interest Correct. rates, APR, closer they are, the least amount of fees, further apart, the more fees. Correct. And so if I they hope say, all, everybody uh, listening out there is my... listening to this. Yeah. If they tell you, um, I don't know what that fee is, let me go talk to my boss, then you know that you should probably go a, a different route because they, you know, they're not very experienced or know what they're doing. Whenever anybody asks me, why is this such a huge difference? I say, well, that's because remember, you didn't want 7.5, you wanted 6.875. So we paid $1,000 to get that, that better rate for you. And then they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, so, but no, if you don't know what's going on. Sense. Yes. If you don't know what's going on, you know, it's, it's a little questionable if you're going to know what's going on the rest of the time. <laughs> so. That's very well put. Let's take control of this process. I agree with you. Let's move yes. on to number four, loan terms. Okay. So loan terms um, are the terms, are the loan terms are the terms and conditions, like conditions of borrowing money. Um, so the terms themselves detail your obligations when you're taking out a loan. So that includes your repayment period, your interest rate, loan fees, penalty fees, and any other conditions that, um, um, that may apply depending on the type of loan that you're in and the lender that you choose. And each type of loan has a different rate associated with it. Correct. So, you know, let's go into this very quickly, though. Sure. You know, a buyer might call up and say, I'm going to be in this house until the day I die. Well, you're like, well, maybe a 30-year loan would work for you, a 30-year term. Somebody Correct. else might come in and say, I just want to buy a condo. I'm only going to be in there or a small single-family home. I only intend to be in there three to five years because either I know I'm going to move, I'm going to get a new job, I want to bigger home, 
well, maybe a 30 year is not the right program. Maybe they say, I have enough money. I don't want to pay all that interest. So let me look at a 15 year fix. So we have right. so many different programs or loan terms out there that could really impact the rate and impact how that loan is going to be processed. And again, everything comes down to that initial application and asking questions. If someone that you're speaking with, that you're doing a loan with, is just asking you A, B, and C questions and giving you A, B, and C answers, then you're not, there's no way that they're doing you enough justice. Because if I say to somebody, okay, well, it looks like here that you're making, you know, I know that you're, you you just want to buy a $300,000 house, but you're making some pretty good money here. Do you, is there a reason, um, you know, is, is you know, it, do you have any other, you know, any other obligations outside your credit report that would stop you from possibly doing a 15 year? I can drop you a point and a half in your interest rate, but your payments will go up an extra $500. But you're paying off the loan in 15 years as opposed to 30. Would that be something that would work for you? And then they might say, oh, no, I have child support or I have IRS issues that I have to pay for. Like, you know, unfortunately, I got to stay at the 2000, you know, range. You say, OK, great. Well, that's fine. But if I never ask that question, maybe on a different situation, they'll go, oh, yeah, no, I just don't want to. I'm only going to live there for five years and I don't want to overburden myself. So I'm just going to buy my first place as a 300,000, maybe keep it as a rental and then wait a couple more years until I get married to get my big house. Um, you know, and in that case, I would say definitely let's do the 15 year because you have the, you know, you have the, the, the room to make that extra $500 a month payment. And you're going to definitely appreciate having this loan paid off after 15 years as opposed to 30. Yeah. So these are all great questions, but I think you hit me. The one thing I loved what you said is if the lender is not asking you questions as they're trying to qualify you for a loan, because, you know, based on how, you know, as a realtor, let me just stop there. As a realtor, I'm working with the buyer and I'm always talking, right? I, I hear so many different things. You know, we want to stay here for five years. We want to have our children be, you know, go through the school program. We're only going to want to do this for a little while. Then we want to rent it out. You know, so, you know, the plans, the strategy of every home buyer is so different. And so being able to secure a loan term that makes sense for them, which goes back to the rate, which goes back to how much money they're putting down. It's so important that all of these factors really are considered and discussed at the very beginning. Correct. And yeah. I love the fact that you do that, Julie. You do it all yeah, the, the time. More, the I know you do. Yeah. And the more transparent you are and the more, you know, I mean, it's difficult talking about money. Like it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's hard for me. You know, some people don't want to do, you know, like my best friends don't want to do business with me because they're like, I can't talk to you about my finances. But it's just like talking to a psychologist or whatever. You know, you just got to put it all out there or else you're not going to get the right situation. You know, if I if you know, I, I had a borrower the other day that had a um, you know, she had a bunch of IRAs that she was, she was just holding on to. She was, you know, she was already had kids and already done with everything. And she had a bunch of IRAs and she was, she was just holding on to those, but she really wanted to purchase a $500,000 house, but her budget only allowed 400,000. So once we got more into like what she had as assets and stuff, I explained to her, you have all of this money that you can literally have them pay you a thousand dollars a month for you to be able to afford this property.
property that you really want. She never even knew that that was an option. So she sat down with her financial advisor. She made sure it made sense and it all made sense to her and to what it was that we were looking to do. And so she went ahead and did that. So you've got to be able to talk with your tax person. You got to be able to talk to your financial advisor and you got to be able to talk to your loan loan, loan officer. It's very important. All, all three it is. Them. It's very important because this is a, these are big financial decisions. So yeah. understanding how these decisions are made um, and then how to take that information to make the best decision for that buyer is so important. It really is. Let's get to number five. You ready? I'm down <laughs> payment re down payment requirements. Okay, so we kind of already touched on this a little bit, but you know, one of your biggest upfront expenses when you're buying your home is the down payment. Uh, so this is the portion of the purchase price um, that you pay at closing. So typically, the less money you put down, the more you'll pay in the fees and interest, like we had spoke about before. Um, Again, most government loans um, and different style of loans have different different styles of down payment requirements. So, um, for example, government loans maybe don't require any down payment. Like I was talking about you before, like a VA may say you don't need any any you know you work for the you know you you help the country you know we're going to give you zero percent down. Where others may require more. I'll use an example of a condo. So a condominium has a lot of layers to a loan. Um, one of those is um, reaching out to the association and finding out if they are properly budgeting for problems. So if you know, a hurricane comes and damages the whole entire pool and everything else and they have to redo it, if they don't have enough reserves, what ends up happening is they charge each individual tenant a percentage of the um, of the entire total uh, cost of the project. So let's just say um, there was a building called Silver Thatch in uh, in in uh, Hollywood, and they had a hurricane and it blew out all their windows, and they were all floor to ceiling windows. Well, these people had an issue where um, um, they had to pay fifty thousand dollars each in in additional fees every month to do that. Well. What we want to make sure is that they're holding those proper requirements, right? And so what happens with that is if they're not holding those proper requirements, we will not lend on the property. But let's say there's someone that's very educated. They're, you know, they've been doing this for a really long time. They know that they, they, that they don't collect 10%, but, which is the standard. They only collect 8%, but they know that the building's secure and they just redid everything and whatever. If someone, if they decide to put 25% down, I don't care about the, I, I won't even ask for the condo doc. So I won't even see any of that stuff. It's meant to protect you. But if you're a savvy borrower and you feel like everything's good to go and they gave you all the documentation that proved that everything should be great and you want to take that risk, you just put 25% down and I won't ask for anything. I'll just make sure that they're properly insured and that everything looks, you know, peachy on the outside. Yeah. So, you know, interesting. But again, those are great questions to ask a yep. borrower at the very beginning, because in your example of the condo um, and the reserve requirements that are there now, not to mention the 40 year, the 10 year um, yeah, you know, requirements, <laughs> but just that one item that could change a buyer's ability to borrow or not borrow. And Correct. so that is, that's a huge, that's a huge question and a big factor when considering to make a purchase. Okay. Number six, 
mortgage insurance, Julie. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go to my partner on this one. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So mortgage insurance is actually, mortgage insurance is actually a really, um, um, it's a little, it, it gets confusing with anything with insurance is very confusing. So the best way to explain it is mortgage insurance protects a lender if the borrower defaults on payments or is unable to meet the, the agreements of the mortgage. Um, so what happens is, so mortgage mortgage insurance itself is required on most properties if you pay anything less than 20% down. Um, now I'll dive into it a little bit more. Mortgage insurance was created um, back in, um, well, it's been, it's been around for a long time, but you really, really saw it prevalent in 2008 when the mortgage industry just went crazy and just everyone was foreclosing and it was just complete chaos. And so no one was lending at all to anyone because they were afraid that they were going to foreclose and they would lose out more and more money. And so the government had to step in and say, okay, what if we provide insurance so that if this person does not pay their loan to you and defaults, we as the government will pay the will pay you the investor to take care of this. Um, and so um, it actually helped a lot of people to um, to get into mortgages. And it really, really helped on like the FHA side because now people that have a 540 credit score or a 600 credit score or people that can't put 20% down, that can only put 3% down. And as an investor, they're like, that's fine because if they don't pay, the government's going to pay. You know, and so they they turn it into a, a little a small fee that they would pay for. So let's say, like, I'll just kind of give you an example right now. So if I was to put three um, percent down on a property that's worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars right now, I would be charged mortgage insurance. Now, the mortgage insurance, if I put three percent down, might be one hundred and twenty five dollars a month. If I put ten percent down, it's seventy five dollars a month. If I put fifteen percent down. It's $26 a month. Once that 20% barrier is hit and you have put 20, you've put 20% down and now the loan to value is um, less than 80%, now all of a sudden that mortgage insurance just drops off and you no longer pay that anymore. So it's, it's actually there is a benefit for you um, or for the lender to loan people that maybe aren't as desirable as someone that's, you know, got puts 20% down, has 250,000 in the bank that they can just pay off the loan if they want to, you know, unfortunately that doesn't happen for everyone. (laughs) Right. You know, not every, not all buyers have the ability, but what this does allow is for all buyers to purchase a home. And there is going to be a small fee until you get that loan to value that we were talking about back to that 80%. But you also have market appreciation working on your side. And you also have the ability to buy a home, which is so important to so many Americans. So it really is. It's a good thing. It's a good yeah. thing, even though there's a lot of negative publicity about it. Yeah. It's good because it opened up well, home ownership to other ins- people. Yeah. That's why I was saying with insurance. Oh, insurance, I'm going to get to this person. But this insurance actually really benefits you. It actually benefits you as a consumer if you're paying anything less than 20%. 
And it also helps those who didn't maybe want to put in the 20% that had the ability to reconsider, you know, their monthly cost and decide, well, maybe I will put in the 20% in order to avoid that extra cost if I don't need to have it. So again, talking to your mortgage lender is so important. Yeah, and sometimes I've even seen in 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 weird scenarios where people will actually um, get a better interest rate if they're paying fifteen, putting fifteen percent down instead of the twenty percent because there's that safety net of the mortgage insurance. So it really just depends. Everybody's rates different. Everybody's situations different, and um. It's definitely not cookie cutter. Like, it's definitely not like, you know, black and white. It's very, very gray <laughs> and all different types it's of gray. gray. Okay, yes. let's go on to our last one. Number sure. seven, closing costs and other fees. Yes. So this is one that people just don't really think about until they're actually like looking at the form and they're like, wait, why does it so much more? So the closing costs, um, so throughout the home buying process, the realtor, lender and other third party sender uh third parties perform services so the fees and the cost for these services are paid at closing so this includes your application fee your closing fee um credit report fees um you know anything like that in addition to that you're going to have your insurance and your taxes they're going to collect all of that stuff at at closing um, for them to give to your escrows. So there's a lot of additional fees. And again, once you speak with your lender and you're 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 talking through the process, you want to make sure like what's the real total amount that I'm gonna have to bring to closing if this is the perfect per- property that I want to buy. Yeah. Super important topic of the conversation. You know, with seven percent of all loans failing in the US, that's somewhat of a standard right now. Um, the number one reason is because they don't have buyers do not anticipate having the right amount of money for closing to meet some of these obligations, and they just did not have a good understanding of what it's going to take to secure a loan. Um, and you know, that's a big number. It's a big number. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And you want to make sure that all of that is disclosed as soon as possible. Because especially, I mean, even, you know, Athena, like Athena doesn't want to go run around and show you, you know, 60, you know, six or seven different properties on a Sunday, um, you know, just to find out that you can't even afford those properties and that you have to go, you know, 100 and $150 less. So, so just with everyone, you want to make sure that you're not wasting your time, you're not wasting your realtor's time, um, and, and you want to make sure that you get all that information right in the front end. Sometimes people, especially like if it's like a mortgage broker or, you know, or something like that, they won't disclose that information until you're almost halfway into your loan. And now you've paid your appraisal, you've paid your inspection, you've paid all of this stuff, and now what? Now you can't even afford to move in. So you definitely want to make sure that you have all that that information in the front end. And if you have a good lender, which I'd say most of us are, we're pretty good people, you'll get that right in the beginning. So make sure you read. Read those documents. I know it's a lot, but read it. <laughs> That's a good point, Julie. That's a really good point. And um, thank you so much. This was a great conversation. And what I want my my listeners and my audience to really understand is before you start shopping rates and deciding on a loan just based on a rate, um, 
you know, that rate doesn't pertain to you unless you go through the seven questions, the seven criteria and have an open and honest dialogue with your lender to determine what is the best program, what is the best rate, what is going to be the best term, what is it that you can really afford, and um, what does it look like? So, Julie, thank you for helping us pull back that onion and uh, dive right into this topic. I really appreciate yes. it. Yes, I love educating and, you know, and doing all that. So it's great to know all this in the beginning. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. So everybody, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you happy for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Julie. Bye. Bye. Have a great day.